everyone, I'm Tony Lontis and this is the Everyday Business Show. I'm going to do it to the best of my ability because if I fail, that means I fail for my entire female nation, I call it. <laughs> is that possible? That was a question for myself. And it is absolutely possible. Good afternoon, Australia, and good evening, America. Welcome to everyone else listening across the planet, and a special shout out to anyone who's listening in Germany today. This is the Everyday Business Show and I'm your host, Tony Lontis, and each week we talk to a range of people around business, life and the universe. Now, if you're listening live on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch or Twitter, we have the lovely Hannah ready and waiting to respond with uh, links to anything that we talk about today and also the links to my delightful guest as well. If you miss any of our shows, don't forget you can pop on to our YouTube channel to catch up or alternatively, they're available on Binge Networks USA, Hero Go TV USA, the uh, Zondra TV Networks USA, and of course, available for download is the Tony TV channel app available on all Android, iPhone apps across the planet. And the links for those are also in the chat for you. Each week we do a welcome to country and it's an important acknowledgement of the role that our beautiful Indigenous people play in the development of our country and nation. So I want to respectfully acknowledge the people of the Yugamba language region on the Gold Coast, Queensland, Australia, the traditional owners of the land on which we meet and broadcast, and pay my respect to the elders past and present and all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here listening and watching today. Now, I have an amazing guest for you today, and I wanted to start the show with one of the quotes that she likes, and we'll ask her about this in a moment. And it says... We don't see things as they are. We see them as we are. Ene Nin. Now, Linda Conyard is Australia's leading pioneer advocate in social, political, trauma-sensitive change and informed responsiveness, correct me, to unnecessary trauma in health, education, justice, government and the private sector. She recognises the transgenerational impact of collective trauma has on our society and is at the leading edge of healing and transformation in this field. And you will all know how passionate I am about this subject. Linda's daughter's trauma at the very young age of six months was from a diagnosis of a rare childhood cancer that affects the retina in the eye. She survived and was left blind by the age of three. The unfolding and 
the unfolding and recognition of her own significant trauma and childhood long-term trauma from living in hidden domestic violence led her into studies and subsequently her own trauma recovery. She became a therapist and she wished that she was a therapist that she had found when she was seeking to heal her own trauma. Linda is determined to change the trajectory of trauma on a collective, cultural, community, family and individual level. And it's a beautiful, big mission that we share in common. Welcome to the show, Linda. Thank you so much, Tony. Great to be here. I'm delighted that I get to share you with the global audience because I really don't think we talk about the impacts of trauma nearly enough in the space of leadership. And so today's discussion is entitled Pioneering Leadership, the New Frontier of Leaders. And Linda, I want to reflect first and foremost on your own journey, if we might. Um, if you're feeling courageous enough to tell us about how that happened, what the journey was like, and what led you to be working in this space now. I think basically my whole life has prepared me for where I'm at at the moment. It feels like that. And I also feel that um, when I was studying and that and my own trauma was um, unravelling, um, it started to make sense of all of the other experiences that I've had and how um, how unnecessary trauma <clears throat> excuse me happens in many, many different ways in many, many different sectors. And that's what I became very clear on because in, in, when my daughter was sick, I'll give one experience of that. Yeah. Um, at the hospital, we first went to the hospital. It was outside the oncology ward. All I wanted to do was just run with my baby. I didn't know where I was going. I just wanted to get out of there. And then <clears throat> this nurse came out of these doors and she had bright red hair, pale skin, big red lipstick and this big smile on her face. And it, like, it just didn't like equate to what I was feeling in myself. Yeah. Anyway, she came and she sat next to me. I have no idea what words were spoken. I just honestly do not remember. But she gave me a hug. And in that moment, something happened within, within me that knew that I could do whatever I had to do regardless of whatever the outcome was because we didn't know at that stage whether she would live or die, what, what was going to go on. Yeah. <clears throat> so it was very interesting. And then another situation where she had to have a scan to see the extent of the cancer in her body. And my husband and I were back from where she was with scanning was going on and there was a little um, TV monitor where there was little white spots all through her body. And I said to my husband, oh, my God, it's all through her. So we were left to our own devices to interpret something that we didn't know how to interpret. And by this long uh, silver table that she was strapped to at about seven months of age, screaming, that red face screaming the whole time. I've got 45 minutes in my mind, but whether that's true or not, I'm not quite sure. I did have trauma breaks. actually sounds about right. Yeah. It's a long time that's for That's the amount of time that I have. And there was a nurse on either side. And that I know. And I couldn't go. My milk was letting down. It was just, it was just a nightmare. And <clears throat> the, there was a nurse on either side, and they were talking about their weekend. And if there was a moment in my life where I was going to hit someone, honestly, it was that time I was so angry and I just it was just such a discombobulated situation. Mm-hmm. So then I got to wonder when I was doing my trauma recovery, how can one group of nurses have that insensitivity 
And then how can this other nurse who works with children in severe, in, you know, oncology ward, like it's a nightmare, yeah. and have that different sense of being able to be present. So it really got me wondering. And, I mean, I, I was very angry with the medical model for a very, very long time. And as I did my own I can healing, agree I started, with you there. <laughs> I started to be able to see the faces instead of like this blank them and me. So it was um, it was a very interesting experience, but just um, I think just getting that if people are not resourced, then they're not able to be present to the suffering. And I got that. I thought, okay, I got that. So then it's around, you know, for me, the education and training and being trauma sensitive and what resources might people be able to draw on that they're not aware of. So that's how it sort of flipped around for me and my experiences. That was just yeah. in one sort of system. Yeah. Linda, it it wasn't sort of until later that you actually realised that the impact of trauma on your life from childhood trauma, did you? Like it takes, and I have this conversation often, for many, many people, there's no realisation as a child that you are experiencing trauma, whatever that trauma looks like. It's only as an adult that we start to consciously reflect and go, oh, gosh, that probably wasn't great. That probably wasn't the best way to grow up. It's only often for people in adult reflection that they that they realise, and I don't think that we talk about that enough because people have varied responses to trauma, but one of them that I've heard and has been reflected back to me is, oh, why didn't you speak up why didn't she speak up why didn't you say something before now why are you only talking about this now but that's the reality of trauma isn't it yes that's right and I think also what happens is um, because we're young we don't have the resources we can't just walk out and go and live somewhere else we're reliant on our adults in our field whoever they are to provide us and keep us safe and if it's not a safe environment, then we creatively adjust ourselves. So for me, it was like I had to be quiet. I wanted to say a lot, but I wanted I had to be quiet because it wasn't safe. Mm. So, and it might be that it's, you know, often it's not a safe place for children. So we adjust ourselves and then that becomes our familiar pattern, like a neural yes. pathways formed in the brain physiologically. So that's our way of being. We know how to be in that. And then Peter Levine in his book, Waking the Tiger, he talks about reenacting. So as we grow up, we continue this pattern because we know how to be. We've accepted this as how we are in the world. And then um, we then draw subconsciously to ourselves scenarios that then allow us to be in this, this way that we're familiar in. Even if it's dysfunctional, we're familiar and we know how to do it. So it usually takes something to shove us into what you're saying before about looking at this and going, hey, hang on, do I have to still do this? Yeah. But we don't recognise it because it's so familiar. And, Linda, it was your daughter's, What it was what your daughter was going through that kind of triggered you to get some healing for yourself, wasn't it? Well, I tried on uh, occasions and... Um, Honestly, I just felt I was just such a traumatized person, really, and I don't even yeah. know. I can't. I have a lot, not a lot of memory of my childhood, and also yes. like intermittent memory of that the same uh, with my daughter's experience because I was just traumatized. Um, and it was mainly like I started studying many things around. I left the education department around two thousand and two, and then started studying. Um, 
it was Ayurveda, actually, traditional Indian natural medicine, and then just yes. kept going from there. I was a bit of a late starter with studying. <laughs> and it just sort of formed from there and it just led me into um, end-of-life care in death and dying. That wasn't an agenda of mine, but I was led that way. Uh-huh. Um, many, many things, oncology massage, um, uh, the gestalt therapy, uh transgenerate like uh systemic um generational work many many things so it was it was that that sort of really opened up for me um i was a couple of things out of that conversation from you linda is the the concept that for many people there are limited memories around their childhood and for most of those people that have limited memories around their childhood that's related to trauma isn't it absolutely and it's a bit of a survival mechanism um it's it's um sometimes the memories come back and sometimes they don't and it doesn't necessarily matter you can still resolve trauma even if the memories all don't come back so it's more about looking at how is your past and your present not necessarily dredging up all of the traumatic incidences but how is your creative adjusted self serving you in your current reality and is there anything that you can do about that to you know really start to step into your full potential and really connect back with who you are because i see that there's three major disconnects a disconnect between self between others and between the environment if we were fully connected to ourselves we wouldn't hurt each other the way we do and we wouldn't treat our environment the way that we do so it all comes back to us unfortunately we've got to do the work whether we're a leader whether we're a mother whether we're a father coach doesn't matter whatever however we lead and even if we're just leading ourselves, it comes back to us it's, individually. You've got to lead yourself first, though, Linda. It's got to start with you. And it yeah. starts from an awareness that something needs to be worked on. I yes. want to just go back quickly to um, intergenerational trauma and mm-hmm. the trauma that is passed down through generations and generations and perpetuates itself um, in further generations. Can -hmm. you talk to us a little bit about what that looks like generally and how it presents for people? Yeah, many, many different ways. And it could be that, you know, you might have everything in your life that you could possibly want, but you still are not satisfied. You're not happy. There's a missing of some kind. Um, Often, not always, just don't want to generalise but am a bit generalising, you know, often people who may be um, adopted, they may find that they find it difficult to find their place of belonging, even though they Mm -hmm. may have great adoptive families. Yes. There's still that missing part in in them. It could be um, like uh, following the same sort of illness. So if um, asthma's in the family, it can go down the line. Um, Yes. There's so many different ways that it can show up. And often it's not linked to uh, generational um, mm-hmm. unresolved traumas and because that's where it usually where it goes out. So if you look at a herd of horses, right, if something goes out of whack, then they have to adjust. The stars, same thing. Star dies and there's an adjustment. So when there's this something that occurs, if it's not attended to, then there has to be some sort of makeup for the balance to put things back into some kind of balance. Our bodies are the same. It always seeks homeostasis. So if we're out of whack, we find have to try and find the balance again. And sometimes the balancing might not be um, as functional as what we might like it to be. So mm-hmm. some of the um, ways that these patterns might show up might be dysfunctional and might not be um, the best way. People 
you know, um, not able to live their lives fully, not able to really step into their full potential, and they don't understand yeah. why. It's usually yes, a clue yes. that it's backwards. <laughs> I know for me, Linda, in, in talking about this subject, I didn't actually know what true joy and happiness was until I'd done a fair amount of work on myself. Um, and for me, I now, that, that feeling and that knowing that you can be joyful and happy is like a revelation. Um, and I didn't realize what I was missing until I found it, I guess you could say. Yes. Linda, I wanted to reflect and, and we want to talk about leadership in our conversation today. And so one of the things that I wanted to know is um, some of the common blind spots for leaders in around in and around this discussion. So if you're a leader um, and you have a leadership team or an executive team, you need to have a concept and understanding of how trauma interplays within your team so that you can better lead. What are some of the things that leaders commonly don't realize or are not familiar with from your perspective? Exactly what you said, that there could be trauma there that they're not noticing or that, you know, they're not seeing the signs of it. And often, you know, say if you've got a toxic workplace and there's someone who is being really painful and, and disruptive or whatever, usually the person is uh, labelled with the behaviour. There's no separation. Yes. So if we're able to see the behaviour as, you know, what's happening to the person rather than the person being the behaviour, that's one step that's quite helpful to separate that out. But the bottom line is unless we are clear ourselves mm. and we're not, we don't have the charge in our body, we're not reactionary ourselves, we're going to, if we are that, we're going to play a part. So there's, there might be the charge that's in whatever situation or challenge there is and there's charge in our reaction. So the only way for that is to go up. If we've done our work, if we've got some understanding around what we're seeing instead of being triggered by what we're seeing, then that charge can occur, but there's always a place for that person to come back down or that group of people to come back down too. So like co-regulating to that steadiness. So as a leader, I would say like looking at yourself first always and then understanding what you may be looking at because like Anae Nin says, we yes. don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. So our, all of our lived experiences, all of our own um, uh, uh, situations that we've been in are how we see the world. So it's really challenging to sit in a place of not knowing, but it's also the most potentialized place to sit in not knowing because then you're opening yourself up to what else is available to me in this challenge that I haven't seen. So often because, like I said before, we've got this, a hardwired neural pathway that has us operating the way that we operate in the world, because that exists, it's challenging for us to sort of see outside of that place. And that's where, and I know for myself, I still go to supervision. I will still go to my, my therapist and talk things out, like just to get it out and say, oh, yeah, it sort of falls into place. Mm -hmm. People have coaches, same kind of thing. It's mm -hmm. being able to talk it out and when you talk it out, something else happens it's not this internal jumble that might be inside so for me it's like really educating yourself on what trauma looks like what it might look like then for me that's the micro view the macro mm. view is when you start to look at systemically if you think you've got a hundred yes. employees right 
<laughs> How many family systems is that? That can get really complex. And your issues that you're looking at might be really entangled in a couple of systemic kind of issues. You'll never see that from this micro view. You'll never see it. You'll just be symptom managing the whole time. Correct. You don't get to the core of the issue. So it just depends on leaders how brave they are. And that's why I call like pioneer leadership. It's when you lean into the challenge of progressing through new and uncharted territory. That's what I see pioneering leaders as. Definitely, Linda. Um, and so some of those behaviours um, I've learnt from, from experience and from, from research can be uh, drinking too much, working too hard, workaholic, alcoholic, uh, overly uh, bubbly, uh, introverted. All of those things could actually hide uh, some sort of trauma. They don't always. For some people, that that is a personality leadership management challenge. But for others, it is a way to hide their trauma and not deal with it. Um, it's really important that leaders have a concept of how trauma impacts people. So that's uh, immediately within their team and with the people that they, they work with. But then there's that bigger picture, isn't there, Linda? Tell us about some of those concepts in terms of the bigger picture. So, again, it, it's it's like um, the interactions that occur in teams of people, in um in anyone really it's like you you don't know what you're going to get Mm. you know and these these adjustments that people make which become like their personality whatever it's like this is all formed in those really early formative years as a as a mum I didn't realize how important those years were when I had my Mm -hmm. kids little and if I think about the trauma that they went through at such a young age I think I had uh three kids under four so they're all very little hard yeah, and then you have one with cancer, then who turns blind? It's like it's massive. So mm. no way could I be available the way that they needed me to be available. So it it's like many things that occur that are out of your control that have you not being present the way that you would like to be present potentially um, in those younger phases that might help people or help that force the child then to creatively adjust. But it shows and, up in and, many ways, like you're saying, yeah. it's all the things that you said about people is exactly right. It might be the people pleaser and then they're burnt out and then they're on leave or then they get resentful and then they're, you know, they've got that sourness that they bring to the team. Mm -hmm. Could be a gazillion kind of things, but it shows Mm -hmm. up in the way that people have creatively adjusted because of what's happened to them. It's not who they are. Mm. And it takes time and hard work, doesn't it, to manage and and to be able to have some sort of cohesion in the team. Like that's, that's hard work. The other thing, Linda, and, and why I really think that's important that we, we have these discussions is that life can be traumatic without anything else. So the idea is that you recognize, oh, I'm, I, you know, as a parent, I might not have been there the way that I should have, but allowing yourself to not beat yourself up, but go, well, I could have done better, but, allowing the children to uh, access to someone to talk to about it because I know that if we had trauma 
systems in place that recognize the long-term impacts of trauma, we would have counseling therapy um, available uh, from very young ages. And that would actually circumvent a lot of the things that we experience in this world. So uh, for someone who, so in a mass shooting, that young person that that has done that shooting didn't get there in the 24 hours before that event. No. That's come from something long-term and deeper. And if we managed to do that better at that early age, we wouldn't have a young person thinking that shooting up a public place is an okay thing to do. Um, and that's where we have this, Linda and I last time we spoke had a lovely conversation about trauma-informed care, and I think it's important to bring it up again, Linda. So mm. can you explain to us in the audience what is trauma-informed care and why is it important? So I I now call it trauma sensitivity because it's yes. like... Yes, because it's really important, I think, just to differentiate from that care perspective, because mm -hmm. it's like it's not expecting people to, you know, know trauma inside out and be able to do the therapy. Mm. It's not that it's about being sensitive to it. And I think, you know, what you were saying before about, you know, maybe in schools or places where children, you know, might be. I mean, the classrooms are full of tra traumatized children. There's, I wouldn't yeah. put my last two dollars on it, right? It's like in those places, if there's teachers that are trauma sensitive, it's mm -hmm. like the fight and the exclusion that occurs because they don't know what to, what to do with children or mm -hmm. the extra person in that's, that then stigmatises that child and makes them separate to all the others, all those kind of things would be reviewed and they wouldn't look the way that they look. There yeah. would be space yeah. and capacity to actually include the whole class in a a grounding exercise in um, in actually seeing that it's the it's what's happened to the child it's not the child and that's what often happens it's identifying mm -hmm. the person with the behavior that's the biggest biggest issue i think because then they become labeled year after year after year if it's in the school system workplace it doesn't matter you know mm -hmm. and I, i've worked in education queensland i've seen it firsthand myself yep. i was going to say you would have seen it in education particularly because i didn't want to hear you know, it's like it's not okay. Like it never resonated with me, but I couldn't, I didn't have the knowledge that I have now and I didn't know what it was that I was reacting to. Mm. But, yeah, so yeah. I think we would actually, in hospitals would be the same, in mm. our government systems would be the same. If yeah. we were really trauma sensitive, we would have a different toolkit that we use. And in the um, program that I have for leaders, which is um called Compassion Empowered Workplaces, it's about these leaders already have the IQ. They have all the smarts. Definitely. They know what to do. Absolutely. My offering is more like blending that IQ with the EQ, which is that emotional intelligence, yeah. and then the CISQ, which is the systemic intelligence. So mm. it's really just enhancing what the leaders already have and just giving them a different skill set that will change their world if they're able to implement so when you understand something, you know yourself. Once you understand something, it's such a different way and it's a such a different feeling when you understand it. Definitely. When you don't, you sort of it's all the tension and the fumbling around in it that's really yeah. not fun. <laughs> 
No, it, it's not fun. It's not fun for the leader. It's not fun for the employee. It's just not fun. And if we want to change things systemically, we need to offer that sort of support to leaders. Linda, tell me about some of the other um, programs you run. Um, the one that you just spoke about is particularly good for leaders who are wanting to lead better teams, who are wanting to make sure that they're aware uh, because there are people, there are leaders who uh, may never have come in contact with trauma of any description and it will be helpful for them to understand how it could impact their leadership and why they might have a dysfunctional team and want to try and uh, work out what why is this so dysfunctional i don't understand and those that your program that's what it's designed to help them with isn't it yes absolutely and i would uh, defy any leader to tell me that they haven't come across trauma it may be that they it may be that they don't recognize it but i'm sure like peter levine also says that you know um, this life, living this life is traumatic, but it doesn't have to be a life sentence. So mm-hmm. we're gonna we're gonna be in trauma, and we don't often recognise trauma can be quite a small thing, or the Correct. trigger to our childhood trauma could be quite a small thing. Correct. But the program I've 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 set it up so that they can get off at any time, because mm-hmm. it could be a long commitment to make this sustainable change and to educate mm-hmm. the people and be able to put it into practice. Mm-hmm. So it could be a twelve month program, it could be two year program, but I, I've made it so that they can jump off at any time if they need a break to maybe implement something first before they go on to the next thing. And I really try and individualize it to what's happening in that environment for those people, because those systems are the ones that are coming into this scenario and just helping them to see and understand and look at things maybe a little bit differently. Mm. So um, I negotiate with leaders around what do they need? What do they think they could actually bite off? Because I don't want them taking too much because then it makes yeah. it, it yeah. just makes it not worth it for them. So yeah, I and, usually choose them like that. Linda, it may just be that you have um, a really amazing leader who has a pretty good team, but there's just one or maybe two people that are just not, it's not working. And they don't want to go down the route of performance appraisal or performance management. They want to have a different way of managing things and this might be the solution because it will give them the awareness of what they might be looking at and give them the skills and support that they might need to take it in a different direction because all humans have capacity to learn, change, and rewire that neuroplasticity, that their neural yep. pathways. Everyone has that capacity. Mm-hmm. You're never too far gone. You're never too traumatized not to have some gains in doing that work. But you have to do the work, Linda, don't you? You have you to do. do the work. Because if you think about it, like, a lot of my clients are like 50 plus, a lot. I've got a, some quite a few young ones, but a lot of people realise that there's something that they don't want to keep doing around that midlife time frame. And, um, yeah, it is definitely uh, that you have the opportunity to do something different. And, if, and I always say to them, like, it might have taken you 45 years to get to this point. It's, it's going to take you, take you a day. It's going to be... <laughs> 
Be a bit kind to yourself and understand that it's a work in progress and every little bit you take every single win you can. And if you go, and, and often it's like when we begin, we're all the way through the process before we recognize, oh, we've done that again. Okay. Mm. Then we just go backwards and go, what did I notice just before that last step? What did I notice just before that? So try and lengthen out the space between the reaction and what you noticed mm. before the reaction. So it is, it is continual work. There's no doubt about that. Absolutely. And, but it, but it is, the thing is though, once you have that awareness, it starts to create conversations in your mind. And once you start to have those conversations, you'll start to see behaviors. So if we take, um, uh, one of my pet ones that I've been working on for a while, um, I am triggered by bad car drivers and I actually get road rage in those scenarios. I did. Let me correct that. I did. And I had to go, I had to delve in. And now what on earth is triggering, triggering me in that moment? And once I figured out what that was, um, I'm like, oh, okay. And then it's about catching yourself in that moment and going, okay, you can react in a better way now. You know what's going on. You know why it's going on. Now's the opportunity to react in a different way. How do you do that? Well, I uh, turn the music up. I take three deep breaths and go, life is very good. There's no need to be angry with that driver. All words to those effects. Like it, it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to be like major production. But it's about awareness number one. It's about catching the behaviour in the moment, and then slowly starting to change the reaction. Because mm-hmm. once you do it enough, you actually change the whole reaction. So I can mm-hmm. I can say now that it's very rare that I have that road rage feeling like I used to. I was very angry at certain people and certain ways that they they drove. And now I'm just like, okay, say la vie, have a great day. You must be needing to go to that place faster than I am. You know, whatever it is to get you through that moment. And the reason that you do that is because it makes you a better person, number one. It gives you an understanding of so many other people around you. And that was the biggest thing for me, Linda, was recognizing the same reaction in other people and go, oh, I know what's going on there. And then it calms you down instead of getting conversely angry with the person who is being angry. It's like, oh, I know what's going on. All right, let me just take that back a step. And it is better for the world, let's face it. So if leaders are engaged in that sort of conversation in their minds around their employees and their teams we're going to have better workplaces which leads to better organizations which leads ultimately to a better world doesn't it yeah and a better performing business absolutely without a doubt and i like to offer to my clients that um you know i see like there's four posts under a house so they have a house and there's four posts whatever's under there doesn't matter how dysfunctional it is i don't want them to change it I want them to acknowledge that that's what's helped them to get to this point. 
So yeah. if they don't want to continue that way, then we put all these other supports under there yes. and then naturally the ones that don't serve them fall away. And it's like like you're saying, awareness is key. So mm-hmm. you bring from your subconscious what is happening and you see that, then you can ask yourself, what else is available to me now? And if you mm-hmm. make the old choice, then you make it consciously. So it might be that extra five bits of chocolate, right, at <laughs> night time. Okay, I know that I can do something better, but it's like consciously I'm choosing to have those five bits I'm of chocolate. I'm choosing to have that chocolate. Yeah, I <laughs> haven't worked that way out yet. Every moment of it, right? <laughs> but it's like just allowing that, bringing yourself into a place of conscious choice is what's important. And that's the key, Linda. That That's the little bit that makes the difference, isn't it? It's the, the yeah. conscious awareness of a behaviour or a pattern yeah. that, starts to make the change and it's all of those changes and all of that work has um an ultimate great result to at at the end of it and sometimes it's like for me 10 or 15 years in in growth and education and understanding and making things better within myself and i didn't realize until you start to reflect and go oh yeah i used to used to do that I don't do that anymore. I used to do that. I don't do that anymore. So sometimes it's just a quiet evolution of a person. Um, If ever there's a time in our lives that we need to have great leaders, it's now, isn't it, Linda? Yes, so important. And I think that our leaders are, if not already, going to be asked to do more than what they're used to doing. And I think Mm. that's because we have a global experience of trauma. It's Mm -hmm. a collective global trauma experience that our leaders are going to be required to actually step up even further than they already are into these fields where people's emotional, psycho-emotional stuff is going to have to be attended to. Mm. And, you know, in, in my program I have where um, the leaders can have like a recalibration um, call and that is helpful because when you're trying something new, it's oh, yeah, good to yeah. actually have a go first, explain the scenario, get clear about what's theirs and what's the others and then what's their next step. <clears throat> and the recalibration call, and I find it works quite well with my business clients, you know, they just call up and they just go, oh, look, you know, this, this and this. And go, okay, well, where are you in that? And they'll go, oh, it's just that reminder because we're so used to going into our old pattern. It's just to have that reminder and that external process that they can use to get clear about what their next step is. And then, of course, like um, my other program is like the path to freedom and that's a whole path from, you know, beginning with an exploration into the six areas of your life, self-assessment, then a trauma quiz, and then let trauma be your teacher, invite your ancestors in and then journey back home. So it's like this whole pathway to help you to reconnect to yourself and that's what you were sort of saying before, if I Mm. understood you correctly, about having that real inner peace because when you have that inner peace, I describe it as like the jellyfish or the whale. Mm. So the jellyfish are at the mercy of the ocean. They don't have any will. They don't control their own destiny. They are controlled by whatever happens to the ocean and they're flipped and they're flopped everywhere. If you think about the whale, they have Mm. this inner connection and they, they operate from their inner knowing of when to swim north, when to swim south. And it is irrelevant 
what the ocean does at any point in time. So it's like, for me, that's the difference, whether we get flip-flopped around because we're external to ourselves or whether we're able to deeply connect to ourselves, to that wisdom, to that inner strength, whatever that is, and we're the whale and we are following our own path and we don't get disturbed by whatever the world does and it's always unreliable outside of ourselves. That's very unreliable. unreliable. There's always so stuff that, happening. Yeah, to have that reliability internally is what is going to support people and it makes Definitely. life easy. <laughs> yes, <laughs> makes life incredibly easier. Um, and just commenting on, on what Linda's just said, um, again, you don't realise the work that you've done until you're in a point where you might be experiencing trauma again. And instead of that trauma dragging you down to the depths of despair where you've been before, it kind of is like a little a wave washing over you. And yeah, it knocks you around a little bit, but you, you can get up better. There's a confidence in, okay, this is a passing phase it's not gonna knock me out wipe me out i'm gonna keep going it's a blip on the life's journey but it's not gonna knock me out like it used to do Uh, and that's the importance of work around trauma because your brain when it's in trauma goes to a primitive state it doesn't serve you, does it, Linda? Like it just doesn't serve you in any way, shape or form because it takes you out of conscious decision-making. It takes you out of a conscious frame of mind and puts you into a place that's primitive. You don't want to be working in that space if you can do something about it. And there's something physiological around that as well, Tony, where mm. um, when – you do get triggered into trauma. And I saw this when I was listening to Bessel van der Kolk's, one of his lectures one time. Oh, yeah. He's so good. And, <laughs> and um, he had up there two um, shots of um, a person who had PTSD, was diagnosed with PTSD. The mm. first um, shot was a thermal imaging of his brain when he was not traumatised. And there were lots yeah. of lit up areas in his brain as he's having a conversation with someone. Then the second one was when his trauma was triggered and there was one one lit up area which was right at the base of the brain. So physiologically, that yeah. prefrontal cortex, that thinking logical part of your brain, so if you're thinking it's about your stuff or whatever, it disappears mm-hmm. and it physiologically is not available. So that's when someone is in a trauma state and you're trying to reason with them, they cannot hear you and physiologically mm-hmm. they can't hear you. So if they're in the fight stage, they can't hear you. If they're in flee, they can't hear you. And if they're frozen, they can't hear you. So it's like if we can really get that when that's happening for someone, it really isn't available. I had an experience of that when um, my daughter was sick at one stage and um, she had to have radiotherapy um, for, I don't know, four or six weeks. I don't know, something. I can't remember now. Every day Mm. of the week. And about three-quarters of the way through, she stopped breathing and that was – all of this stuff I couldn't I couldn't I remember that morning the nurse in recovery was actually doing all the checks for the resuscitation stuff and we were talking about resuscitation next minute my daughter needed resuscitation stuff and um there was no one else in the room she was calling for help and I remember grabbing the oxygen stuff turned it to I don't know what and just basically gave it to her and I left the room I couldn't stay. My husband's trying to resuscitate her. Apparently, I passed all these doctors on the way out, but I, I do not recall them. And I was mm-hmm. outside. And I remember my knees were just shaking 
and shaking. I had to slide down the wall because I couldn't hold myself up. And um, anyway, a nurse came past and said, are you all right? I said, yes. And she sort of went, okay, and kept walking. Another nurse came past and said, are you okay? I went, yes. She said, maybe you could go in the parents' room and make a coffee. And I thought, oh, that's a good idea. So I went in there. I could recognise the tea, coffee, sugar, milk, everything, hot water, cups. I could recognise it all. I yeah. could yeah. not put it together. I could not yeah. make a cup of coffee. So it's like for Trauma me that was brain. Yeah, of the of that logical brain disappeared and not completely. Yeah. Mm. So you know, having that experience and then seeing that 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 um, slide, I went, oh my gosh! It sort of landed in me deeper, like that inavailability of that part of the brain when mm. you're being triggered into a trauma space. I and Linda, just to to uh, agree with you there, one of the first things that I learnt in trying to heal my own trauma was to take my brain out of trauma brain. And the way that I learnt how to do it was that focused deep breathing for one minute. At this moment in time, all you have to do is breathe in and breathe out and do it for a minute. And it takes you out of that brain space and back into somewhere where you can actually make some logical decision. Uh, and it, you may have to do it like a number of times. If there's a lot of things happening in and around you, you may have to do it a number of, of times. But I, I think it's fascinating that our brain reverts to a primitive place to protect us. That's what it's trying to do. And it's, it's hardwired for survival. And, and it's, we need to be grateful as human beings that that's what our brain does. It's designed to protect us. We just need to recognize when it's actually safe, generally speaking, for us to interact with humanity and not be in lizard brain or trauma brains, so to speak. Another um, one I use for my clients is um, say the alphabet backwards and they just sort of look at me and go, I can't do that. So already there's a bit of a jolt out of that yes. primitive brain or to read something backwards or to name things in the room, like the, anything that would require that real cognitive ability. I use uh -huh. those kind of things to help people just come back. And that would actually be a powerful skill for leaders to know about, number one, and to have as part of their leadership toolkit. Because then if you've got a cranky employee, someone's in your office screaming about whatever it is, you can immediately take them out of that space and that mode and bring them if back. If someone's angry, I wouldn't use that. If someone was angry and, and it was a leader, I wouldn't use that. What I would do is use my own presencing, my own calmness for them to uh, co-regulate. Yeah. And just say, you know, like, I hear you. It's okay. Like that, And your voice is calm that you can actually have that. So if someone's angry, I would be using more of that tool to bring them down ah. a little bit before you can bring them back online. So it depends on the scenario, what will work. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, generalising is a little bit, little bit tricky but definitely yes. if someone's heightened in the anger i wouldn't ask them to do anything because that would probably irritate them much more um but yeah, yeah i would yeah. just say and someone who wants to flee i would just say look you know it's okay that you go but can you come back when you're when you're ready or maybe i'll call you in a couple of minutes 
or something like that. So you allow the actual response to occur and then you follow up that way. So for leaders and people who aren't trained, I would sort of suggest those kind of ways of interacting with staff who are having reactions. But the main thing is to recognise the reaction, the trauma response. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's a fight and it'll be yelling and arguing and whatever else is going on. The flea will be like, you know, people start to get out of here. See, they just, yeah, that, or they stay, but they can't, but that, you know, you can see that they want to go. They can't go. Um, And then it'd be the freeze, and you can tell the freeze where people just can't move. They are immobile. So just just recognizing those three um, is is a great place to start. Um, Mm. And then just, uh, of course, yeah, the more calm that you are, that's where people can co regulate to your calmness Mm -hmm. because they're not calm and it also works with um children and toddlers that Mm -hmm. calm it will help them regulate and the good thing about that with children uh and and toddlers for instance is you're teaching them something as you're actually de-escalating them um linda we spoke earlier and you mentioned about a trauma quiz we have the link for the trauma quiz which we're going to put into the chat and it will be with this interview wherever you're watching it can you tell us about that trauma quiz yeah it's really just a very simple awareness uh checking point because often people will say like i don't have trauma okay Mm -hmm. so then i'll show them the symptoms of trauma which might Mm -hmm. be uh sleeplessness um addiction of any kind um it might be um like uh that overworking kind of thing that you're saying Mm -hmm. or the symptoms of trauma. So it's just an opportunity for someone just to, you can use this personally or you can follow up with me. It doesn't matter. There'll be a summary of the, each of the levels that, that they yeah. are directed yeah. to. And then um, it's just a, just to give people an idea of how many boxes they may tick where they haven't thought that they have trauma because symptoms of trauma are things that you would probably go to your doctor for, but yeah. the doctor yeah. doesn't actually, I'm generalising again, Treat isn't aware the- of trauma. They're treating the symptom, what they're seeing Mm -hmm. in front of them. Fair enough. But underneath that, there's more that can actually heal that so that doesn't exist ever again. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Linda, I want you to tell the audience in um, the last five minutes, I want to um, address any of the leaders or potential leaders because if you're thinking about going into leadership, you want to have some of these conversations before you head down that track. How do people connect and work with you, Linda? Yeah, and probably the best way would be just to set, get onto my contact page and just say that you'd like to connect and what you'd like to have a chat about. Happy yeah. to have a conversation. And, you know, like everybody needs someone who's got their back in their pocket, especially when you're a leader because leaders, mm. you know, my view, general again, but my view is that leaders are perceived to and even for themselves they perceive that they should know everything well i don't know that's possible and you know how the more that people are really connected with themselves the less they have to have those crutches masks whatever it is to 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 project whatever they think they need to project and people then they can relate to people on a more solid ground and yes. that actually creates like a, a really powerful pioneering leader, I believe. So if they can actually do that and I'm happy to have a conversation, I'm happy to be in their back pocket if they need it. Um, yeah, so just open to a conversation. Like a conversation is all. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. 
Thank you, Linda. Um, I, I also wanted to point out too that across the world at the moment, there is a lot of trauma. So if you think about the years that we've just been through with the pandemic, if you think about war and the instability, if you think about the economics across the globe at the moment, there's a lot of stuff going on for humanity. And if ever we needed empowered, life-changing leaders, it's now. And you're going to have to be the best leader you can humanly be to lead in these times um linda those things uh and it's key for our leaders to have the support of people like you to get them through that because i don't think it's going to be possible to do it without support just understanding yeah just understanding the breadth of what's going on and and what people might and be experiencing, I think that leaders in particular, they need to have a support system. They need to have someone that they can talk to confidentially about whatever it is that they're experiencing within their organisation. Um, yeah. It's so important right now, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that, you know, we, leaders themselves um, it's not helpful if they have the expectation that they should have all the answers because yeah, none of us yeah. have all the answers in this. These times are so uncertain and destabilising that, you know, not not many of us enjoy sitting in uh, not knowing, but that's the position that we're really in. We yeah. don't know what's going to happen next week, the week after, whether we're going to have money, not have money, have a home, have, not have a home. Like it's there's so much. Very uh, uncertain. Upheaval. Yeah. So, you know, that's where I can help leaders to learn how to sit in uncertainty. I don't have the answers, but I can help you to sit in uncertainty and be strong and powerful in that place of uncertainty. And and a good leader will figure it out. Yes. They'll, they'll, they'll work it out, but they'll, they're more likely to work it out with good support. So yes. you can find Linda on Facebook, Linda Conyard Healing Humanity Through Truth, and the same on LinkedIn, Linda Conyard, Healing Humanity Through Truth. We have all of these links will be attached to both the live video and any of it in replay. It'll be in the show notes. If you're a leader and if you're struggling a little bit at the moment, that's okay. But I really encourage you to reach out to Linda for some support and tips to help you get through these challenging times. Linda and I have had some powerful conversations over the years, and I know that she has the keys that might just unlock something that you're struggling with at the moment. Linda Conyard, thank you so much for sharing everyday business with me today. Um, it's wonderful to talk about things that are business related but not strictly business and one of those is support of our amazing leaders across the planet. I know that you work globally so this show is encouraging you to reach out to Linda and have a chat about things that might be concerning you. Linda, thank you so much for being on the show today. I look forward to another conversation soon. Thank you for the work that you do. It's incredible. Thank you, Tony. Same to you. And that, my friends, is your lot for this week. We will be back next week. Don't forget, if you've missed even a portion of this show, please check it out. YouTube uh, and Binge TV across the world. 
I encourage you, if you're a leader, to connect with Linda. And that's it for this week. Bye for now. I'm going to do it to the best of my ability because if I fail, that means I fail from my entire female nation. I